Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, this is the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports. I'm Kate Borsay. Well, today, Norway and Switzerland sealed their spots in the round of 16. Nahela Benzina made history as Morocco beat Korea Republic and a last-minute winner for Colombia ended a great night for them against Germany in one of the games of the World Cup so far. Back again to digest it all, we're with two of the Northeast's finest football contingent. Helen Hardy, who's in Melbourne. G'day. Oh, oh, you can't compare me to the other Northeast person you're about to introduce. Come on, Kate. <laughs> you can. We're Geordies and that's all that matters, mate. <laughs> and the former England goalkeeper, you've heard her chirp up already, Carly Telford. Hi, Carly. Hi, guys. Back again. Round two. Ding, ding. Helen, you're in Melbourne. It's a new location for you. Uh, the song Four Seasons in One Day, written about Melbourne. That's because it can be all manner of weathers. Um, I've been there. I absolutely loved it. What do you make of it so far? And um, have you picked up any of the local terminology yet? It was about 23 degrees when I left Sydney and it's pouring it down with rain here in Melbourne. But um, it is a beautiful <laughs> city. I was I met up with one of my Geordie friends. So it seems like it's themed Newcastle today. And she told me, she's been here now for a couple of years, that if you add the letter O onto the end of work, Words, you just will fit in with all Australians. So this Arvo is this afternoon. I'm going to the servo. Is we're going to the service station. I've learned okay. it all. And so that's that's my little tip for today, guys. If you want to come to Australia and fit in, just add the letter O to the end of words. I think that will be fine the next time we try it, Carly. <laughs> um, if you've got some tips for Helen Hardy, she needs some help, doesn't she, by the sound Or if you'd like to comment on any of the day's games, get in touch uh, with the hashtag OffsideWC. And that's at OffsideRulePod across all the socials. Don't forget to rate, follow and subscribe. You know it makes a difference. So... Lots to discuss today. First up, the mega game of the day as Germany met Colombia. Well, what a game. After a tight first half, Colombia took the lead thanks to a Linda Casado goal. A late Alexandra Pop penalty pulled the Germans back into it just before injury time and a 97th minute winner for Manuela Vanegas made it the perfect start to Colombia's World Cup. Two wins from two for them. It means Group H is still wide open. Gosh, we love this one. Carly, let's go to you first and ask tactically, how did Colombia get this spot on? They just disrupted them. They just, just like what we've seen about Germany in the first game, they looked very fluid. They looked very on point, very German, efficient. And I think Colombia have just done what Colombia do best and they've been very disruptive. Um, lots of little niggly fouls, lots of stuff off the ball, just things that gets in the player's head and distracts them from what their actual jobs are. Um, they've obviously got some very good players as well. So a little bit of stardust in there when they, they when they retained the ball and look quite threatening. Um, but yeah, I think it, that first half, it was all about how they could disrupt Germany's efficiency basically and you could see mm. that the German players Pop was getting frustrated Oberdorf all the all the names that that we you need that German side to tick you could see them getting riled and um, like distracted and complaining and just I don't know just stuff like as a player that's what you want to see that's perfect you're thinking well, jobs being executed as a manager you're thinking the girls are doing exactly what I need them to and it's just frustrating to see that Germany kind of got 
took into like they 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 took that and I was I was kind of like you know they're going to do it you've heard from previous games you've seen them in previous games what mm. they're like so don't get sucked into that like that's what Naivety they want to do almost, it is, yeah Carly. it is yeah a little okay. bit naive from the Germans which was um, yeah just if it just stick to what they were doing but I must admit like Colombia front foot aggressive pressed them where they could retained the ball where they could looked dangerous from set pieces and then. Obviously, the the magical bit of stardust that they have in their in their kind of new superstar, and can say like honestly, brilliant, brilliant. And considering her obviously story throughout the week when she collapsed, we didn't even know mm. if we were going to see a feature today. Um, but to see a feature, and then like you say, like what's our third World Cup this year? Is that is that the stat as well? Which <laughs> yes, is like is. unbelievable. Because like she's played played in yeah. the unders. She's only eighteen, so she's yeah. done all the unders, and then this one, and then this one, and then the quality that she brings. Um, yeah, it was just it was it was great to see. But it's I think the Germans really got sucked into a very good Colombian game plan, and yeah, um, even when they got it back, they should have just shut the game out probably for the draw but Germans being Germans they don't know how to do that and, and suffered at the end yeah they did they went all up front didn't they um, what about how the ref managed the game this was crucial wasn't it and Carly's sort of lent into it slightly there Helen um, did the ref manage it well or not who made the most of it <laughs> leaning into the answer there Kate who made the most of it <laughs> Columbia made the most of it um, uh, Oberdorf was the first card of the game and we were laughing about it before we came on because um, Columbia had been nipping and biting for the first 45 minutes they were fantastic and they basically wrote the script and then played out the script in Germany unfortunately it just fall into line that's how it ended up working out but the referee did allow that to happen because all of those little bitey ankle clips the little shoves off the ball they all add up to um to frustration and ball retention loss and and also I asked Carly before we came on as a professional footballer when playing for England and playing for Chelsea for those top teams when those teams come in against you that you should be beating and they you know clipping at your ankles from corners they're getting in your face are you scared are you nervous like, is that part of the reason I guess you know, Carly would be the one to answer that question. Is that part of the reason why Germany suffered so so badly today? Yeah, and I think the, the good thing about this is I've played in teams where we have been the Columbia. I, when I probably played at Notts County, maybe we haven't got the quality when we're matching up against Chelsea and Arsenal and Man City of, of like four or five years ago. Um, yeah, it was definitely part of our game plan because you knew potentially you weren't going to match them technically and tactically. So it was how can you gain an advantage? And, and usually that was it. It was wasting wasting time on the ball. It was picking up fouls in the other way when the teams think but we're getting fouled like why are we getting the fouls when they get one foul and they've like you've been fouled five times and got nothing they do one foul and get a free kick and you're kind of thinking what what's going on here but like again it's all part of the game plan and you get sucked into these things where it becomes like you say it's it's not so much a, a nervous or a about getting injured it's more kind of a frustration and a loss of head and then you're not executing the game plan because you're getting distracted or your your ball retention's then poor and then you're just thinking as a player like nothing's going right like I can't get a hold of the ball I can't get on the ball so you start doing things that's outside of what you're supposed to be doing and then that goes against obviously the game plan and whatnot and then all of a sudden Columbia like you say they're writing the script for you and you are falling into line with exactly what they want to do and that you've got to it, this wasn't just 
about Colombia being physical. Like you say, they were very good on the ball, but they just played the perfect game. And Germany, unfortunately, just played right into their hands. But yeah, being on the other side of it, it is definitely a game plan. And it is something that if you execute it well, it can ruin a very good team that, like we said today, like just couldn't find their rhythm at all. However, I think it would be unfair to say that it was just the physicality of Colombia yeah, in the exactly, first half. Yeah. I think they also, what well, one thing they did brilliantly is they stopped Germany from, get, when the ball went out wide, from getting it back inside because they know that one yeah. of the main threats through the middle are Alex Pop and Lena Oberdorf. And when they've got the ball at their feet and they switch to the other side, that's when the ball, when that, that's when the play gets really dangerous. So whenever the ball went out wide, Colombia did everything in their power to stop it coming back into the middle. They kept it out wide. They forced loads of throw-ins. They disrupted play. And as you said, it just made it really bitty. And I think you said, yeah. Carly, in a message before we came on, that it wasn't the most entertaining first half but I think that was Colombia being like you know we executed our game plan let's try not to concede early doors let's try and frustrate them for as long as possible they came out second half and it was all guns blazing and for me it was my highlight of the World Cup so far I'm gutted I'm in Melbourne yeah. for the Australia game tomorrow and I missed out on it <laughs> what a game <laughs> uh, let's talk about how far Colombia can go let's continue to get very excited about them if they win the group the chances are I've been trying to work it out as you two have been chatting away um the chances are they're going to face Brazil or Jamaica from what I can work out. If Oof. they take only a point off Morocco, Colombia, uh, they'll win the group. So that's what will happen there. And then Germany likely to face France in the last 16. Tasty. If that's what happens. I mean, yes, incredibly <laughs> tasty. There's just all kinds of things to mull over there. We won't get ahead of ourselves, but we've got a very exciting round of 16. Germany wrap up their group campaign then against South Korea. That'll be a very different game entirely, I would have thought. Colombia face Morocco. That'll be a good one to take in, I'm sure. As it's the last of the group games, both matches will be played at the same time on Thursday. Let's move on then. Norway picked up their first win of the tournament to see them through to the next round, thanks to a brilliant attacking performance from them. Uh, goals from Caroline Graham Hansen, Guro Wrighton, plus an Alicia Barker own goal and a hat-trick from Sophie Roman Herg sealed a 6-0 win against the Philippines, meaning that the debutants will go no further at this tournament. Um, Helen talked so much about Norway. They failed to win their opening two games. Are they back in the picture? Are they back in the game at this World Cup now? Yeah, definitely. I think so. I think it was definitely uh, Carly Telford's uh, G-ing Gura Wrighton on yesterday that definitely <laughs> changed She the... is Carly's prediction pick, by the way. Carly's, Carly's romped us with points. But anyway, Gura Wrighton made a big difference today. You just wanted to give her that extra level and she, she went there for sure, yeah. <laughs> That's all she's needed. Who would have known? <laughs> yeah, Norway, you know, Norway, you know, defied everybody in in this one and I think after the Euros and the England game I think everybody came into this tournament thinking that Norway would bring a game like this but nearer the beginning of the tournament and it was today um, their passing their structure the way that they moved on the ball and I think that that it gave the freedom to Guru and Wrighton to finally play in the position that she wants to play in um, and, and that got them the result. I do genuinely believe that they had the talent there to do this before now and it's kind of like it's only really just kicking into, uh, clicking into place. I worry about them going through in second and what that means um, out of the group because I don't think that Norway have the ability to take it much further than this against the top sides and it's such a huge shame that they couldn't have brought this earlier in the tournament. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think... Carly will be delighted with, with the points that she got from, from Guru and the gang. 
<laughs> well, look, Carly, Caroline Graham Hansen criticised the decision, didn't she, to leave her out of the starting lineup in Norway's last game, the draw against Switzerland. That caused so many headlines. She was back starting in this one, that wonderful goal that she scored from range too. If there was dissent in the camp between the manager and the player, who won? <laughs> I think on this count, I think Caroline won. But it's, it's funny because I was looking on Twitter early and I think Hege has come out and apologised Um to the nation or as such I think there's something on there where she said Has she apologised yeah, to Graham Hansen then? I would imagine so I'd, I'd imagine so because there's, there's you've got to have harmony within camp so whether it's an apology or oh, I made the wrong decision sometimes you just need to hear that as a player like she said what she said then she apologised for saying it Hanson she was kind of like I was a bit emotional whatever but you forget that these players like you say this could be their last World Cup some some of them it's their first World Cup and to be left out after having such a good season for Barcelona um, and one of the like you say key players of this tournament that everyone's waiting to watch um, it was disappointing I think for everyone not just for probably not the Norwegian side the Norwegian fans so yeah it, it, it gave her a point to prove and I think she very much did that today um, she had a fantastic performance and it's what again like Helen said earlier we've been waiting for this Norwegian talent to kind of click and today they looked very efficient they looked aggressive they looked front-footed they looked hungry like something that the first two games we just I don't know didn't what happened see. but we didn't mm. see so collectively within camp I think they've probably looked at each other and said guys like this is it everything's on the line today and they needed goals so they needed those three goals so they had to go all out but again you go back to why was that mindset not from the start. Let's just finish up on the Philippines. Uh, there was a red card for their substitute, Sophia Harrison. She was sent off less than 10 minutes after coming on. That was uh, following a VAR review on a late challenge. What do the Philippines take from this experience, Carly, do you think, as they exit? Um, I just I just think as, an, as a nation, they're a very proud nation. And I think that they got a win, um, which was huge for them. Um, and you look at how that kind of they got behind their nation. Now, again, like you just, Twitter is an amazing thing that it just seems to spit out really nice pieces of information sometimes. sometimes. And, one, and one of them was that it was like how they'd started having watch parties back in the Philippines, which no one had ever had before for a, for a women's team. And it's kind of like that has inspired a nation right there. So now it's about how do you, you look now at that team and the investment it needs to, to compete with these teams. So you'd like to think the federation and are looking internally and like, how can we help these girls be better? What do we need to provide? And how do we next time if we qualify have an even in four years time where can we take the players that we've currently got but also the players that are sitting underneath them in the the 17s their 19s like how do we make them better how do we make the league better and how, how do we then compete with with the players world the teams worldwide but it, it's really exciting and I think like I say their nation will be very proud but they know the gaps there and they've, what they've got to do to try and close that so yeah you can see they're a very proud nation it's a shame that it went out and got and ended on a 6-0 because that's the memory you have unfortunately as a player but um, yeah, I think they'll go home to, to some very happy fans and, and they've probably made their, their family and their fans very, very proud. Well, Norway will be joined in the next round by Switzerland, whose goalless draw against host country New Zealand was enough to see them through to the round of 16. It also consigned Helen the Football Ferns to the end of the road at this World Cup, out on goal difference. Was there a missed opportunity for them here in this game? Yeah, I think you described it as unadventurous in, in the notes you sent over and that's how I've seen it described. 
across social media and that's certainly how I felt watching it. Thank goodness the Germany game after that, just to liven my evening up um, or, or your morning if you're over in the UK. Um, it, it was an adventurous from a Switzerland perspective and they would have been expecting more. And from a New Zealand perspective, this is their first sort of major foray into challenging in a World Cup. Their goal was obviously to get out of the groups and they'll be really disappointed they didn't do that. But they threatened more than I think anybody was expecting them to in this game. Um, Ali Riley is obviously a legend. Have you ever? I think you've played with her, Carly. No, am I? Yeah, oh, no, yeah, she, yeah, she was your neighbour down the road, wasn't she? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's a, she's a she's a class player. Um, she really leads from the front. And what I really enjoyed about New Zealand was the work they did off the pitch as well as on it to carry football forward. And I think that was their objective from this tournament. Just anecdotally, in the first week when I arrived in Australia. I met the 1975 original New Zealand women's football team. Um, it was wow. both hilarious and actually a real monumental moment. They took the team over to an island in Sydney to play against the original Australia 1975 team. And it was such a beautiful moment. But one of the highlights was... Um, one of the women was saying, oh, we, um, we were all hunting each other down on Facebook and we thought Cynthia had died and here she is. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm still alive. Um, but I think that, that you've got to remember that New Zealand is still growing through football. This is something that's still relatively new to them. And I saw Beck Smith at the end of the game talking on Australian TV, just saying that this was the opportunity for the New Zealand Federation to carry football forward. They got their first goal. They won their first game. What an iconic moment for their nation um, and I think that's what they'll be taking away from this we need to carry this forward we've inspired a generation the forgotten generation is starting to be recognized now and I think it's a really beautiful mm. time for the New Zealand football fan yeah they've only had a full-time coach haven't they since or full-time manager since 2021 when Klim Kova uh, became their first professional head coach so uh, it's very much a work in progress for me I'm gutted it marks the end of the Stotbot defensive partnership <laughs> Rebecca Stott and CJ Bott. I particularly enjoyed my, getting my head around that one. Um, Carly, you'll know a few players in this New Zealand squad, I'm sure. Just a brief uh, few thoughts from you on their exit. Or indeed, you know, Switzerland, who've, well, they've pretty been pretty underwhelming so far. Yeah. They've got the job done, I suppose. But Yeah, I think I'll just back, what, back up what Helen said. I think it's like, say that I just remember that first game and their faces, the crowd, the fans, the celebrations, like what that does for a nation and for a generation of the next crop coming through. I'm sure there were so many young girls and boys went out onto the streets into their back gardens and picked up a football and wanted to score that goal like Wilkinson or replicate that feeling. Because that's that's what happens in those moments. We we know we had it in the Euros when Chloe Kelly scored and Russo, whatever. Those those moments, they're iconic and they do inspire. Um, I think for me, the disappointing thing today was I understood kind of maybe how cautious they were because you don't want to concede because then it's it's a big hill to climb and, and we know New Zealand don't notoriously score a lot of goals. Um, so I think I understood that, but then it got to like 80, 85 minutes and it didn't seem like anything was changing. And I was kind of like, come on, like they took Wilkinson off and I was like, what are they doing? Like, should we go three at the back and put more up top? Like you guys need, it's all or nothing now sort of thing. And we just kind of, it, it didn't even get the crowd going. You're thinking you're playing in New Zealand, like get the crowd going, I don't know, make Switzerland feel threatened. And it wasn't until the goalkeeper, I think went up a couple of times that really they looked like scoring, which was a bit a sad way to go out. And it just kind of looked very deflated. And again, on the Switzerland side, they just kind of huffed and puffed. <laughs> They're kind of there and thereabouts and they get around the box and you kind of like, nothing really happens. Nothing really. 
really um, happens. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's just a really weird one because they've got the quality, but yeah, it'll just be interesting. I think like you say they've got through, which is probably huge for them. You could see the celebrations at the end, and then I guess it's probably for them just to see how far they can go um, with with the talent that they've got. But yeah, a little, little bit disappointed by the game in general because I really thought it, it was teeing up to be something quite exciting based on the, what could happen with with the results. But that's it. Okay, all right, we'll leave that one there. Next up, a nice highlight. We're going to chat to the CBC sports journalist Shireen Ahmed about a historic moment from today's match between Korea Republic and Morocco. This is Tash Dowie. Join us for the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports. Well, during the first game of the day, Morocco beat Korea Republic 1-0 thanks to an early goal from Ibtisam Juraidi. History was made on two fronts for Morocco. It was their first ever World Cup goal and Nuhaila Benzema became the first player to wear a hijab in a World Cup match. With us to talk about the significance of that moment is the CBC Sports journalist Shireen Ahmed. Shireen, thanks so much for joining us. Just give us a reflection on your World Cup so far. I know you're out in Melbourne covering Canada. Any highlights so far? I've really enjoyed myself in Melbourne. The the people I've met has just been has been quite lovely. So this is my fourth World Cup working. So it's but it's been it's got its own character. It's got its own vibe, and I'm really excited about that. Let's talk about Nuhaila Benzina now. She is the first hijab-wearing woman to play at a Women's Senior World Cup. It's an historic moment. And Shireen, in terms of this being a very inspiring point in time as well, talk to me about this message on the world stage, how that plays out to younger generations, to younger Muslim women getting into the game. Well, considering that the hijab ban was only struck down by FIFA formally in 2014, I don't know if it's going to happen that quickly. Like, I'm happy to see her there. I do think we'll see more players from different countries, you know, choosing to do this. But at the same time, the politics around it are still quite controversial in some places. I mean, I think her presence is enormous. You can't help but notice that there's one player, even though there are other countries that might have Muslim players, she's the only one. And I think that is that actually is important. When you look at places like France, who do have a lot of players with either Muslim connections or Muslim histories somehow, I mean, there's a huge swath of North African and West African players in France, for example. I mean, it's really difficult not to see that. So for someone like me who's been covering you know, that issue of a hijab, uh, you know, and accommodation and that and inclusion in sport, I think it'll be a huge moment. And and just to say one more thing, that this is the first time uh, someone has played in the Senior Women's World Cup. Jordan hosted the Under-17 Women's World Cup in 2016. So at that time, there were players from the Jordanian Foundation, but Federation, sorry, but the thing is, with the Senior Women's World Cup, eyes are all on this tournament. You've got worldwide attention and media, and the impact that her presence and existence has cannot be you know, overstated. Her actual presence on the pitch playing normalizes women in this game that hasn't been done enough by mainstream media. We can temper that, of course, with the fact that the hijab is banned uh, in sport in France. That decision challenged as recently as last month, Shireen. It was upheld by a top court in France. Why is just that one particular country insistent on excluding players in this way? 
the conversation around hijab in and, and Muslim women and their bodily agency is very complicated in France. Essentially, the idea that they want is to have secularism. And, you know, I understand that, and that's fine if secularism was broadly applied and fairly applied, but it's not. It's almost as if it targets Muslim women very specifically. Now, at this point, does the, you know, does the right of an individual to choose to wear hijab and play at the same time, does that supersede this sort of, you know, national will of wanting that secularism. And at the same time, we have to understand that sport is a right and the access to safe sport is a right. Now, because hijabs are not considered a you know, medical issue or a danger to a player and an opponent, I don't actually see why that's an issue. From one, my standpoint, I see that excluding women is more harmful to the sport and society than allowing them to play. And I mean, you could argue that I have bias here, but after doing so many years of research and talking to academics and other researchers and advocates, excluding Muslim women who want to do this and having them choose between faith and their practice of faith and football is completely unnecessary. I really don't think that if a woman wanted to play sport, it would destabilize the country of France. I mean, that's putting an awful lot of pressure, and it's being ridiculous, quite frankly. If a 12-year-old or 14-year-old girl want to wear a scarf and want to wear tights and run around on, a, you know, on the pitch chasing a ball, is that really going to destabilize the entire country? I don't think so. And in, in addition, the contributions that young girls and Muslim women can make to the sport, they're not being considered here. And I think that that impact of sport in, in kids' lives is really a problem in excluding youth and girls in particular from sport, I think it's unjust. And that's what we're talking about here. And we're talking about, I've spoken and interviewed over the years, so many people who are just so sad about it. Like there's young girls who won't even go for trials or go to, you know, uh, clubs or teams, or even they're just so disparaged and discouraged. Yeah. And it excludes on a wider level, as you've leaned into there, Shireen, it excludes a whole community from playing a sport that is sport for all. Um, look, thank you so much uh, for so eloquently putting across the importance, really, of what's happened today, um, but also the wider issue of the fact that uh, this is this is still not a done deal in terms of where we go forward, certainly not in France, where there are, you know, large Muslim communities. It seems seems a crazy decision, but it's been really, really enjoyable to speak to you today. Shireen Ahmed, who is a journalist for CBC Sports. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, next up from Morocco is Colombia, where a win would see them through to the next round. Career Republic faced Germany and what will be their final game of the tournament. Well, tomorrow Ireland will play their final game of the World Cup as they face Nigeria at the Suncourt Stadium in Brisbane. With us to discuss whether they can sign off by picking up their first ever World Cup win is Manchester United and Ireland defender Aoife Mannion, who's in Brisbane. Hi Aoife, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Listen, um, it's been a, a pleasure to see Ireland at this World Cup. They haven't picked up any points so far against co-hosts Australia and the Olympic champions Canada. What do you make of what you've seen from the team so far? It's obviously really exciting to get to our first ever World Cup. We had really, really high hopes to get out of the group. That opening game against Australia over in Sydney, I've never been at a game with an atmosphere like that. 
And then the second game, we went 1-0 up against Canada. I really thought then we were going to crack on. We were even going to get another goal and, and, and it was kind of going to go off into the sunset from there. Uh, it wasn't to be. We ended up losing to the Canadians, the current Olympic gold medal holders. Um, and then that has kind of been where we're at really and obviously we've got one more game against Nigeria and we're hoping to go out on some level of a high you know for the pride and ego but overall there'll be a level of disappointment that we've not managed to get to the the group the the, the knockout stages. You go there first major tournament and um, obviously the first game's disappointing but Katie McCabe's goal what was it like being in the crowd for that and what was it the reaction obviously from camp from that as well and and have they had any reaction from home as well like in Ireland what was what was that kind of scene like in the being in amongst it yeah the goal was was really really good I was saying to my parents I don't I don't know if people understand that there's very few players that can score a goal like that like obviously being in the WSL there's probably I would say like you could count on your hands the amount of people how many people play in the WSL I don't know 150 200 something around that and you've got a handful of people who can strike a ball like that one and then do it in a World Cup game to be fair you know Katie Zellum one of my teammates she can do that but it's just the pressure it's the level of pressure to be able to do that to score not only in that manner but it also be the first ever goal that um, we've scored at Ireland so it's really really special and then it was really fitting for her as a person she's obviously kind of the, the like flag bearer for the team she's the name she's the face she's the captain obviously so it was really really fitting and I think that the girls then deserve to go on and win that game just just for that so so, so that goal got its proper kind of just rewards really um back in Ireland it's been picked up on massively I think you know people think that she's a legend she's a hero um, she is. Yeah. yeah. Did it was you an Olympico, it? wasn't it? You've been around a fair few Olympicos in your time. Which one's better, Katie Zellums or uh, Katie McCabe's? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely Katie McCabe's one. The atmosphere. So I think there was around just less than 20,000 at the stadium. And what you have to get into your sort of just put this, pitch this in your head that it was almost all Irish fans. Obviously, a few Canadians had made the trip. But that, it was literally, it felt like a home game. If you'd said that that was, you know, in Dublin or in Galway and Ireland, and to be fair, it was raining as well, so it was quite fitting. It felt like kind of back home in that sense. Um, so the crowd just absolutely erupted. Um, so that was really, really special. So I have to say that that moment, and actually as a fan, being on the outside, being able to soak it up, seeing the elation and jubilation of everyone in the in the, in the audience and in the crowd was incredible. Yeah. Tell us what you're hearing from the camp, Aoife. You'll be much more plugged in than we are. And I know you'll be exchanging a few messages backwards and forwards. Injury meant that you were unable to get involved in this tournament. But what are the girls in camp saying? I think the girls want to go out, go out on a high. They've said publicly that, you know, they're really, really focusing on getting a win in this last game almost to firstly give themselves and the team the just rewards for getting to the tournament but also the fans there's a fan zone here in Brisbane and it went out around on social media for all of the Irish fans to go there at a particular time today so that was absolutely swamped by anyone who came over to the tournament to support them everyone was in there it was like a sea of green and then it was lovely to see the players go in there as well so I think there's that real connection um you know a real sort of modesty about the girls that 
that will be hard to keep the, the further and further the game goes in terms of getting a professional. It'd be hard to have that sort of level of interaction. So it's really nice to see that when it when it happens. Um, mm. I think that their focus will just be getting getting a result tomorrow. And then obviously Nigeria beat Australia the other day. And not that no one thought Nigeria would do that, but everyone thought Australia as the host were going to kind of perhaps fly in the tournament. So that that the anticipation for that result probably was not necessarily at the forefront of everyone's mind. So credit to them. Um, but the swing round of that means that I think the girls know that, that it's going to be a really, really hard game tomorrow. And how are you doing? You're uh, obviously getting over your injury and it's quite a brave move actually for you to be out there as well following the success of your teammates. Um, how are you getting on with your rehabilitation and um, I just wonder how you've been enjoying a life down under? <laughs> well in in my rucksack, I'm, I'm in my hotel room as I'm chatting, but in my rucksack I've got like a few pieces of crumpled up paper from the physio of like what I need to follow when I get into the gym and onto <laughs> the pitch. Have you been following them Aoife? You know to be fair, to be fair I have I've been getting out I've been doing bits but then outside of that I've been living like a normal person for what feels like the first time in years so my, my parents are over here I've also got some aunts and uncles that have flew over to support the girls so it's just been it's just been a massive holiday like obviously there's been the football side of things in terms of watching the girls but other than that it's just like a, I went in a hot air balloon today um, over the wow. Gold Coast who wow, like when cool. would you ever get to do that so people say to me they really have sort of a level of um, sympathy kind of picking up the injury and they say you know how are you doing I say oh, I'm doing really well and they say no no how are you actually doing <laughs> I think it's quite hard for maybe people to to realize that once I'd accepted the situation around how unfortunate it was that I just missed out on the squad since then since I've been able to park that I'm just like I'm I'm like I'm I'm really really enjoying it out here. Australia's a beautiful country. Um and I'm so so pleased that I got the chance to to come out so Well look it was a great season for Manchester United last season. Let's have more of the same again. Uh, and then some for this season. I know you'll be a big part of that. It's been lovely to speak to you, Aoife Mannion, uh, Republic of Ireland player, Manchester United player. Really good to speak to you. Thank you. Let us know what your thoughts on any of the games today or any of the matches that take place. Let us know what you think. You can give us your predictions as well for Ireland's final game by using the hashtag OffsideWC and at OffsideRulePod. Do rate, follow and subscribe as well. We really appreciate it. Keep up to date with everything going on at the Women's World Cup in Australia by using the free Sky Sports app. You'll find news, interviews, live match coverage, analysis and much more. You don't have to be a Sky customer to use it. Go to your app store, download it and away you go. And after the World Cup, it's the best app for WSL coverage and so much more, including F1, the Premier League, world-class boxing, international cricket and more. Remember, you don't have to be a Sky customer to use it. Just search for Sky Sports in your app store. Drumroll, please. Time now for our Ones to Watch predictions game. Here's producer Sophie with the rules. This is the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports Ones to Watch, the game where you predict tomorrow's top player. So pick a player and let's get started. You'll get two points for a goal, it's one point for an assist and one point for a clean sheet if you're a defender. And if you pick a goalkeeper, it's two points for a clean sheet and three points for a penalty save. Oh, and minus one for a red card. 
We're going to be keeping tallies throughout the tournament. There'll be a pundits team, a producers team and of course a listeners team. So keep your scores at home and let us know how you're getting on. Let's play. She says gleefully, rubbing her hands together. Myself and the producers both went for Alex Pop. So I've moved on to 14 points and the producers are in the lead with 15. The pundits, well done, Carly Telford, picked up an extra three points. (laughs) They get now to nine, thanks to a goal and an assist for Guro Wrighton. Lindsay, with Germany's Clara Bull, chosen by you, Helen, stays on Six. I feel terrible. <laughs> I feel terrible. Well, you, you're going to have to make up for it then, aren't you? Well, let's try and help you then redeem yourself. Monday's games are as follows. In Group B, where no one is through yet, Canada play Australia and Ireland play Nigeria. Then in Group C, Costa Rica play Zambia. Both teams are already out and are yet to score a goal or put a point on the board. And Japan plays Spain. Both teams are through to the round of 16 and this will be all about who finishes top of the group. So time now to find out who are your ones to watch. Carly Telford? Um, I've gone Bomati. I do think it's going to be a very close game. I think Japan-Spain is a actually mouth-watering tie in terms of how they both play. But I just think the key could be a midfielder. I think a, a late run, a cutback. And I think Bomati's played very well this tournament so far. But love to see a score a goal so I'm going to throw one out there and be really random she's she's not my friend this time so um yeah <laughs> uh, I'm going by my okay Helen Hardy who are you going for okay Lindsay relax here's what happens Canada start the game she's on the bench and then they go ahead and then they have to look to the bench here she comes Sam Kerr her first moment of the world <laughs> Cup oh, tournament. this is bold <laughs> This is bold. Here it wow. is. No risk, guys. Remember, she steps on the pitch. Within five minutes, she's got a hat trick. I'm telling you now, Lindsay, you're going to be thanking me. When I go out to England, she's going to buy me a pint. I'm telling you. That's a very tough call. Okay, fair that enough. Is bold, uh, Helen, this is bold. exactly what this game is about. You go with what you think. So there you go. Sam Kerr for Helen Hardy. Producer Callum's gone for the Spain goalkeeper, Marissa Rodriguez. And, 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 and I know what he's thinking about. Spain have not conceded a single goal in this tournament. But that's that's a brave call when you're talking about coming up against Japan and uh, Mina Tanaka. It certainly is. I have gone for Jenny Hermoso. The reason why I've gone with that is I'm not quite sure how Alexia Puteas fits into this. Is she 100% fit and does she start? And just for me, with all the uncertainties, Hermoso is a guaranteed starter. So that's why. Well, good luck, everyone. Your attendance again on this podcast is completely reliant on how you do in this game, Carly. I'm not sure if the producer explained that to you before the show. Aww, so We I might see chance. you again. No, of course we'll see you again. <laughs> Helen Hardy, we'll check in with you in Melbourne very soon as well, I'm sure. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Well, look, don't forget to rate, follow and subscribe. Share your thoughts with us on the hashtag OffsideWC and at OffsideRulePod. This has been the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports. We'll speak to you next time. Podcast Network.